0: Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of restaurantowner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business.
1: Thank you for joining another episode of Corner Booth. I'm Chris Tripoli thanks. with RestaurantOwner.com. I'm Barry Schuster, editor of
2: Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine, the magazine of RestaurantOwner.com.
1: And today we've got a very special friend joining us on Corner Booth, Eric Sandler with Culture Map, who's been staying up on the industry, reporting on restaurants, reviewing restaurants for well over a decade. Eric, welcome to Corner Booth. Chris, thanks for having me. So, Eric, there's there's always an interesting story how people get into this
2: business. There's there's very rarely a straight path. Why don't you tell us about Culture Map and and tell us about your uh, your path to what you're doing and and a little bit of information about you know your job. Uh, what 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 is your wheelhouse?
0: Sure. Well, I, I guess we'll start with what is Culture Map. We're a daily digital lifestyle publication. We're ba- founded in. Houston in 2009. Still based here. We're part of GAO Media, which is a uh, a media company that that has a radio station here in Houston, ESPN 97.5. We have the Sports Map Radio Network that distributes content to sports talk radio stations across the country. Culture Map has sister sites, Innovation Map. We have Sports Map. We have Energy Capital HTX. that's about uh, going on in the energy industry. So you know we've got a lot going on here at Gow Media, and and Culture Map is really kind of what's what's happening in the city. You know, so obviously I cover bars and restaurants, but but we you know we cover the art scene, we cover trends in fashion and design. We have a, we dabble in real estate, you know, mostly uh, you know homes for sale and, and home design trends. So you know the whole the whole art scene, concert reviews, weekend happenings. You know, it's 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 good news, right? It's 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 a pretty upbeat, pretty enthusiastic kind of look at the life of the city. So, you know, in any given weekend, we could send you to like a barbecue festival, or you know, a movie premiere, or uh, an art exhibition, or you know, like a, a big event, like you know, a, a prominent band coming to town, or the art car parade, or or any of that stuff. So, it's uh it's a diverse you know set of topics that we cover, and you know, our readership is basically everybody, uh, mm-hmm. at least as far as I can tell, based on the people who come up to me when I'm out in public. So, you know, my, my mother's friends read it and, and ask her to ask me for restaurant recommendations. And then I have a, a 19-year-old uh, intern that's been working with us this summer who followed me on Instagram before she started working for us. So I, I think that's a pretty good sign. Yeah, got everybody covered.
2: And and your role is restaurants and bars and so forth. Is is it reviewing? Is it interviewing? Is it
0: finding hidden gems? Well, it's a, it's a little of everything. I'm, my title is food editor, mm-hmm. uh, but but really, what it means is that my my primary job is reporting, and and we are driven by the news of the day: restaurants opening, restaurants closing. We track you know various trends if you know some dish goes viral on tiktok or instagram or, so, or some other social media platform and a bunch of restaurants start making it you know we'll tell you where you can get it you know we i'm very engaged with the pop-up scene and so i try to stay really current on you know the latest most interesting pop-ups that's something that's kind of come out of the the pandemic so so guiding people to those kind of very unique and special experiences is a big part of it you know we'll give you New restaurants to try with some kind of opinion about not not really a formal review, but just kind of here's what to look for. here's Here's maybe a dish that we didn't like as much, so maybe don't get that, get this instead. And then on top of that, I, I do a weekly podcast that takes a look at some of the news from the restaurant world. I do an audio restaurant review with a friend of mine who who goes and eats with me and then we we break it down and talk about what we liked and what we didn't. And then I do an in-depth roughly half hour interview. With someone from the restaurant scene, and I've had, I've I've had everybody. I mean, I've I've mm-hmm. had Chris Shepard. I've had uh, Justin. You came on and did forty minutes with me about the Bear season two. I had Don Burrell from Top Chef, Evelyn Garcia from Top Chef. So, try to get episode three hundred is is about to come out. So it's it's been it's been a blast, and and I and it it's very rewarding. It's a very personal connection with the audience. Mm-hmm. So have you had a, a personal connection with the
1: food industry? Were you a culinary background, a restaurant operator, uh, that kind of thing before Culture Map nabbed you as their food editor?
0: No, no. I, I will say like my, my role in the restaurant business or my connection to the restaurant business has always been as a customer. And, and even going back to high school and college, I was the friend that my friends turned to when they wanted to try something different, right? If we were tired of whatever our regular choices were, I I was the person that they would go to because I was reading, you know, restaurant reviews or even way back in the day, the Houston.Eats Usenet group, you know, a million years ago or a site like beforeyoueat.com or my table or reading my table magazine looking for news and information. So, and, and, and even in college, I went to college in New England. Uh, you know, I was the guy who would, take a look at the menus in the dining hall that night and be like, no, we're not, we're not doing that tonight. We're, we're going out for, for pizza or sandwiches or Thai food or whatever it was, you know? So I, I was the ringleader and I've, and I've always just been curious about uh, the food world. And, and, you know, I'd say social media really, really opened that up. You know, if you think back to about, you know, 2008, 2009, everybody was getting on Twitter uh, and that was a really great way to start meeting people. And I, and I, you know, found myself in this circle of like really passionate uh, diners who were going to new restaurants and organizing events and, and doing all that, and and I fell I fell right in with them. You know, that's that's how I I got to try uh, Himalaya, the very acclaimed uh, Indian restaurant in in Houston that's been featured on Anthony Bourdain and Andrew Zimmern and everything else. Uh, it's how I did my first taco truck crawl. Uh, it's how I got to meet uh, you know Rob Walsh did a, a book signing. at at an oyster processor on the Gulf coast. That was my first trip, uh, down to San Leon. So, uh, that group was very formative and, and it, you know, some of those early friendships, uh, that I made, you know, 15 years ago now, uh, kind of put me on the path that, that led me to culture map.
1: Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. I'm just, I'm interested because I, I personally think that you may have a, um, More open feel. I don't know, Barry, it'd be interesting to get your comment on this too. A more open view, since as you said, you see things from the guest point of view. Uh, Having somebody be basically a professional guest might have a completely different point of view than what the industry has had for so many years, which are typically trained writers who have culinary background or former chefs that see things in a particular point of view. And then we send them out to report.
0: Right. I, I mean, I consider, you know, every now and then we'll get some pushback from people in the restaurant business. Oh, you know, you should only, you should report about closings or you shouldn't criticize or you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. It's, you know, our audience is the consumer audience and, and really it's guiding, guiding them in a positive way uh, to good experiences is, is really what I sort of consider my role to be, you know? And, and so You know, I don't, I don't really think you, you have to have formal culinary training to, to understand that perspective. And, and, you know, and, but, but at the same time, I mean, I, you know, I seek out the opinions of, uh, professional chefs or people who've worked front of house or, or owned restaurants or consulted on restaurants. So, you know, I, I, I try to incorporate that perspective as much as I can, but it's not, um. You know, that, that's, that's certainly not my perspective. It's not, it's not who I've ever claimed to be. Uh, but I, I will say, you know, over, you know, 11 years of professional food writing, I, I do think, um, I, I I think I understand where a lot of my friends in the restaurant business are coming from. I think, I'm, I think I'm pretty sympathetic to their perspective, even if we don't always agree. So you're an
2: editor for what sounds like a, a very popular media, and you got a broad demographic. Uh, you're really in a position to um, shape uh, attitudes and 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 culture of a big major city. So there's some real value in my perspective, if, if you're writing about my restaurant and the question I'm getting at, and I'm hoping you can help out for our listeners who are seeking best practices on how to get the attention of people like yourself. Um, you know, how, how do they do that? I, I can tell you that I know restaurants in my in, in my metro where they're good restaurants, but sometimes the attention they get is maybe more of a factor of the quality of their PR firm than, than anything else, if that makes sense. So, you know, what, what, what gets your attention? What, what, what things do operators do well to get your attention? And what things do operators not do well that would have you say, listen, I'll, I, don't, I think I'll go to the next place?
0: Well, I, I will say, I mean, there are certain PR firms that have a lot of credibility, especially for a new restaurant opening, right? There are, um, you know, when we're trying to decide sort of what to cover or where to go or what to talk about, you know, I, I have a history with some of these firms. And if it's, it's a, a restaurant I've never heard of, it's like, well, most of their other clients are places I've really enjoyed. So, you know, this is probably significant. This is probably worth paying attention to you know i think i think understand understanding what kind of each publication is looking for and and really tailoring your you know if you're if you're not gonna if you're not gonna employ a publicist right understanding uh you know who who your audience is or what the publication is uh, and and tailoring your pitch to kind of suit them uh is is your best approach right so you know for culture map really like new is what drives us. And so, you know, if you're a legacy restaurant uh, with, you know, 10 years in your market, uh, congratulations on all your success. But, you know, we, we probably don't have anything to say about you that would be new or interesting to our readers. Right. If you, 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 you know, you want to get our attention, you basically have to open a, a second location or or something like that, you know, for, for new restaurants, you know, you know, for, for Houston, especially there are, there are certain neighborhoods that are are very popular for dining. Uh, So if you're, if you're opening in one of those neighborhoods, uh, we're very likely to be interested. If you're, you know, a a chain restaurant or a a corporate owned restaurant and you're opening out in one of the far farther suburbs uh, you know, maybe not, but, um, but, you know, independently owned chef driven, uh those kind of places are always interesting to me and it and it really doesn't matter uh you know what part of town that happens with I, I know you've got a national audience but you know Houston you know what what we consider broadly defined as Houston extends about 40 miles from downtown in any in basically any direction so uh you know we'll we'll find you uh and and you know we had a a, a Malaysian restaurant in Katy uh which is about I't know twenty five miles west of downtown that got a james beard award semifinalist nomination a couple of years ago uh because it's great and because they were really persistent in building a following and bringing people out to try them and see what they've got going on and it and it led to enough acclaim that they they got that recognition and they've been featured in the New York Times and everything else so you know that's a that's a huge win uh for an independently owned restaurant uh in a suburb and and you know so it, it can't happen. Uh, you just have to be you have to be compelling and you have to be uh, persistent.
1: I like that point. In fact, I'd like to underline that just a little bit more, because I know our listening audience uh, uh, will always feel like maybe they should have more positive reporting. They should be getting more attention uh, and then they read or they hear attention being given to somebody who's new Um and their their comment is probably, gosh, I read about that, but so what? My, my homemade jalapeno fettuccine is a much better pasta than theirs. How come I'm not getting attention? And if I understood you correctly, we should be counseling them more on the need to be fresh, be new, create interesting things that you can then look at and report on. Just because we have a really good recipe and we've had it for years and years and years, isn't necessarily compelling enough for somebody to talk about again.
0: Right. I mean, I'm, I mean, we can be very specific because there was something that happened this week in Houston. There's Pizzatola's barbecue is an almost 90 year old barbecue restaurant. Yes. They celebrated their 88th anniversary this week and, you know, restaurant anniversaries that aren't, that don't end at zero or can be maybe that that's not as compelling, uh, but they introduced a smoke, a smoked bone-in six pound beef shank and visually it's stunning and it's, and it's, it's an unusual cut. that kind of harkens back to, you know, that kind of caveman friend Flintstone aesthetic. Uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't something that I picked up for culture map. Uh, but I know, you know, the Houston Chronicle picked it up. I I've seen it other places. Uh, and so, you know, if you can, if you can make a splash or something like that, then, you know, more power. You know, more power to you. But but it's got to be. There's a novelty uh, in something like that. It's it's very eye catching. It's very compelling, uh, and that you know that that makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. So even an established restaurant can uh,
2: grab some headlines if they they do something a little different and and uh, exciting. I guess.
0: Yeah, it's, it takes a little bit of a stunt, but but it it can definitely happen. You know, yeah. we like novelty. We we like we like to, you know, we all we all like to see something a little different. And and uh, you know, the other thing is, um, you know, I, I know everybody wants as much coverage as possible, uh, but if you have a publication that you feel like really reaches the demographic of people you're trying to reach, you know, telling them that it's theirs exclusively uh, is is always more compelling to me. Knowing that that our readers can only read about whatever topic on our website. Is is always going to be more compelling to me than a, a press release that's blasted out to everybody in town.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So you've been doing
0: this for 10 years, and
2: so you you crossed into the pandemic era. Um we've talked to plenty of operators what that was like um as a white knuckle ride, as you as you well know. What was the pandemic like in the life of a, a food reporter?
0: Well, I mean, those first couple of months were a a very uncertain time. Uh, You know, we really shifted, you know, obviously we shifted from what's opening and what's happening to to take out to legislative issues like buying alcohol to go to relief efforts for hospitality workers and where uh, people who were suddenly unemployed could go to get, you know, a free meal or or other uh, benefits. So, you know, and then, and then of course there was incredible interest in which restaurants were reopening and and how were they behaving and what protocols were they following and and how were the you know how were people dealing with that and and indoors versus outdoors and and uh you know air purifying and and testing and oh the the whole staff tested positive they had to close for a week i mean you, you know it was it was a it was a uncertain time and and the the doom and gloom coming out of you know, all kinds of people in, in the media and in the restaurant world about, you know, half of all restaurants are going to close or this, that, and the other thing, you know, thankfully in Texas, uh, you know, for political reasons, we were kind of, we, we reopened more quickly than a lot of other States and, and we never closed. So, uh, you know, if, if, you know, within the bounds of your uh, life and, and personal decisions and risk assessment, if you felt comfortable eating in restaurants, uh, you could. And if you wanted to, you know, pick up to go instead and eat at home, uh, that was certainly available to you. But, uh, you know, I think I think, you know, we had we had more to do here from a media perspective uh, than maybe some other parts of the country that stayed more shut down for longer. Uh, and in fact, I, I would say that, you know, uh, one of the cities now now a restaurant considered to be one of the city's very best you know, opened in the fall of 2020. And, and that was, that was so exciting because it had been, you know, four or five, even six months since anything like that had happened. And, and so to have something new to talk about, we all, we all kind of fell over ourselves. You know, we mm-hmm. couldn't, we couldn't say enough nice things about it. Mm-hmm. How have you seen uh, the effect post COVID with
1: the need for, all restaurants now to have some some element of convenience, enhanced curbside pickup, third-party delivery, family meals, the kinds of things that you probably saw restricted to certain types of restaurants or more convenient dining. But now, uh, I don't know, do you feel like almost everybody has to do it because the market demand is at every level?
0: You know, I think I think it varies a little bit. Obviously, everyone had to do it uh, in 2020 and into 2021, I think obviously the more casual your restaurant is, uh, the more people expect that of you, you know, so, you know, a you know, a chef with a fine dining pedigree just opened, uh, a new pizzeria here about a month ago. And, and it's really kind of focused on that sit down experience. Uh, but you can still get the pizzas to go, you know, they're not, they're not on the, they're not on a third party app yet uh, and they're not doing delivery yet, but, uh, it feels like that, that's probably is coming. Uh, you know, um, but, but, you know, the other side of the coin is, uh, you know, we've seen a rise in kind of, uh, more premium experiences, tasting menus, omakase, uh, you know, stuff that you, stuff that doesn't go in a box and, and, and people really paying up to have a really memorable, really personalized, uh, high-end experience. And, and that's, you know, I, I thought I thought fine dining was on its way out uh, in 2018 to 2019, and it's it's come roaring back in the last couple of years.
2: Yeah, I suppose uh, Chris and, and Eric, you know, people realized during the pandemic how much they enjoyed being social creatures among other people,
0: enjoying their food out out of their own homes. Well, and and how good it feels to have a meal with you know, uh, elegant, elegant China and, and nice glassware and, and servers that know the wine list and remember your name and, and, you know, bring everything to you. I, you know, we, we all did a lot of, we all spent a year doing a lot of dishes and, and making a lot of, and making a lot of sourdough. It's like, uh, you, you know, it's a good reminder that some, some things are best left to the professionals and, and, <laughs> you know, for as, for as much as, as, as accomplished as some home cooks are. You know, there are there are really some dishes that you can only create in a commercial kitchen with years of training.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think that you hit the nail on the head when you talked about it came roaring back. Part of that I think is because of our own uh socialization. People have that need to be uh to belong. Uh there's certain things that you just can't get uh at a car side pickup lane. And so hospitality industry seems to be a place where people can socialize, um, belong to one another and have fun. And uh, I'm so happy that that part of dining came back.
2: You know, if you read the other, uh, the trade magazines, which I, I, I'm sure you pick them up occasionally, Eric, um, uh, one of the things that the writers love to talk about are trends. Okay. and There's always a trend going on. Um, from your perspective, who who dines out a lot, who keeps his finger on the pulse of what's going on in in food and beverage and your very big market are the things that you're seeing that you would define as trends or is the growth or development of the business kind of all over the map
0: well it, i mean there's growth everywhere uh there are trends i i mean you know we've coming out of the pandemic we've had a, a rush of italian restaurants of all stripes i mean uh you know, more than a dozen new restaurants, prominent new restaurants in the last, you know, six to 12 months or so. Uh, I keep seeing caviar pop up on more and more menus and, and, you know, not just, you know, like a straight caviar service, but, but caviar, uh, prepared in creative ways. There's a, mm-hmm. a steakhouse in town doing a, a buckwheat souffle with a giant scoop of uh, golden, et cetera. Uh, you know, in a more humble, a more humble context, there's a, tater tots and potato chips that you can get with a caviar add-on. So uh, that's been really fun. Uh, and and then, uh, you know, just there's, I mean, there's always, um, you know, like I said, Italian food has been big uh, pizza has been pizza in all styles, you know, New York, Detroit, neo-Neapolitan. Uh, we're about to get our, our, our first really prominent uh, Chicago tavern style place. Uh, from a from a really accomplished uh, chef so uh you know that that never ends and uh you know Chris can tell you I mean we are we are absolutely uh just buried under the way the smash burger trend and, and that shows that shows no signs of slowing down uh and 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 I get that to a certain extent right because it's a very like Elemental burger experience you know they're they're the smash patties are crispy from a from an operator's perspective they're easy to cook you're not it's it's not a question of whether it's medium or well done or anything else. They're 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 kind of done when they're done, uh, and it, and it's all about kind of that gooey cheese. And they don't need a lot of toppings. You don't have to worry about whether the tomatoes are sourced well or any of that kind of stuff. It's just like saute some onions, get the gooey American cheese, hit it with a potato bun. Uh, you're good to go, and you can charge, you know, thirteen bucks for a double, and and people will happily pay it. And and then the other thing is kind of related to that is that you know, Shake Shack has made it acceptable to serve, uh, frozen French fries. So the, the trend of, of people like really working their tushes off, uh, to, to make fries and, oh, you got to blanch them and fry them twice and dry them and this and that and monitor starch content and make sure that you have the right kind of potatoes and the changes and you can't get the crop and the, that's all gone away. It's just uh, frozen fries straight into the fryer, easy peasy, <laughs> like, uh, you know it it hurts my soul a little bit but but uh i i had lunch today and, and tried a new french fry and i was like oh you you make these and he's like oh no they're they're from our they're from our food supplier they're frozen and they're they're it's like well i i can no longer I, this is like it's like the chat gpt of food i i can't tell the difference between fresh cut and frozen anymore so i guess here we go
1: <laughs> that's uh, that's amazing. And it's, it's a funny that you use that as an example. But but there has been um, a tremendous increase, really, in uh, the availability of better quality packaged foods. Um, a, a chef, you know, that I know that has a couple restaurants, I think, you know, him, too. I'm thinking of this one that he has a little European bistro and it's in Rice Village. And I think he would have scoffed years ago of not doing putting anything on the menu. That he didn't completely prep. Uh, but at lunch, he's using a frozen fry too, a kind of an interesting crinkled uh skin on thing. So I think you bring up a good point. It's all about uh hitting target and having consistency with quality that that used to mean doing everything yourself, but there are some foods available now where you don't necessarily have to do that.
0: No, I I agree, and then you know, the other the other place we kind of see that is. Uh, you know, tortillas, right? Like, um, you know, if you don't, especially corn tortillas, right? If, if right. you can buy a really good nixtamalized heirloom corn tortilla, then why wouldn't you? I mean, you know, why, right. you know, let, let someone who specializes in that make it uh, and save yourself the effort.
1: We've seen people, uh, and, and you mentioned a great example of it with the smash burger. Uh, just find ways of taking something that everyone knows and understands, but recreate it, sort of reinvent it. Uh, are you noticing that? I'm thinking of desserts now, with you know the the flamboyant ways of eating cupcakes now because of crave and sprinkle and and. And that kind of thing where now people feel like if I'm going to go to somebody's home or go to the office, I don't bring kolaches anymore. I don't I don't bring donuts. I've got to bring these really cool custom cupcakes. They just reinvented the cupcake. Um, And then not too long ago, somebody we both know is doing that with croissants now. Just making a big deal out of that. And it seems to be working, uh, don't you think?
0: Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I think, you know, we're seeing it a lot in ice cream. Uh, you know, where we've got kind of national players coming into our market, uh, Van Leeuwen out of New York, Jenny's, uh, you know, Jenny's out of Ohio and and most recently Lick out of Austin are all kind of pushing into the Houston market. Uh, but at the same time, there's, there's a whole range of local shops uh, that understand how to cater to local tastes. You know, I've, I've had, I've had cacio peppy pepe ice cream. I've had brisket ice cream. I've had uh cafe suda, you know, Vietnamese coffee ice cream. Uh, you know, that's, that's a those are those are local operators that understand uh the kind of the flavors of Houston and so you know they're not they're not scared of of Jenny's or anybody else and and they shouldn't be uh because you know inevitably that local product is always going to be uh, a little fresher and a little more in tune uh to the local palate
1: so what do you see then as what's coming next uh uh, uh, uh is it just Uh, I mean, more expansion or is there a particular thing that, that, uh, that you know, is coming down the pike?
0: Well, we're in the, we're in the midst of like a wave of new seafood restaurants right now. So I uh, you know, and we, we had really, those had really suffered uh, in the previous years and and they're, they're making a comeback. And and the nice thing, at least for, for our perspective here in Houston is that it's not just Gulf coast, you know, it's, it's, I mean, there's some of that uh, but, you know the days of you could your choices were basically, you know, black and snapper or black and redfish and and fried catfish are are going away. So, uh, you know it, you know it's kind of the the the, the broader version of this uh, caviar trend, right? its that is that we're finding uh, better, more creative ways to serve seafood. At least at least here in Houston, and and that's all been uh, very exciting. In terms of things other than
2: food, um, the food's important. The, the, uh, every restaurant starts with the menu that's, that's why people go to restaurants, but in terms of the ambience, the vibe, all those other things, um, how much does that play into uh, your reviews and, and how in, important is that in your mind in terms of, um, the total guest experience, uh, from, from what you do?
0: Well, I, you know like i said i i host a podcast and i i collaborate with people who have experience in the restaurant business so to create that show so you know we we try to take all of that into consideration lighting music uh you know i'm a known i'm a known quantity so i i get uh unfailingly or consistently very uh solicitous uh very welcoming hospitality uh just about everywhere i go so i i stopped having authentic service experiences a long time ago. So, uh, that's, that's harder for me to gauge. Uh, but how a room makes you feel, um, you know, what it looks like, what it feels like, what the soundtrack is, uh, that all matters. And, and it all really, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not sufficient. Uh, you know, bad food is still bad food. The food, the food has to be good. Uh, but then in determining like, where do I want to go back to? Uh, you know, when people ask me for a recommendation for a birthday or a date uh, or an anniversary or a business dinner, uh, you know, good, good food is the, is the minimum. And then, and then the ambiance and the service really kind of determines where it kind of fits in the matrix and, and the circumstances under which we would recommend it to people.
2: On the beverage side of things, uh, the craft beer, the craft, co- craft liquors, the uh, craft cocktail scene. Where's that going? I mean, for a long time there, we really had a lot of focus on on the craft brewery uh, market because uh some of these places are real anchors for other hospitality experiences in their market um what's What do you see in there? What's your perspective on that
0: yeah i you know I kind of struggle you know the, the there's so many more craft breweries now than there used to be uh personally, I find it a little bit hard to keep track of all of them or to, to, you know, to know the differences between, you know, hazy IPAs across different breweries or, you know, this lager versus that logger. I, I find that a little bit hard to, hard to keep track of. I think the days of restaurants having, you know, 50, 60 taps, I think that's all gone away. I just, I just don't, I don't see a lot of enthusiasm for that outside of a very focused set of uh, specialty like craft beer concepts. Mm-hmm. So I I think, you know, now it's like, you know, and and some of that's I mean, I it's sad to say, but some of that is just because, you know, these seltzers have just kind of taken over and the, you know, people who used to drink uh light beer or even or even like a, a mildly flavored craft beer have kind of gone to seltzer and and so you know, the craft beer scene has gotten a little more niche. Uh, you know, what we're seeing, uh, you know, it's not it's not big breweries anymore. It's it's kind of smaller. Uh, neighborhood focused that are basically they're basically just neighborhood pubs that serve beer that they brew in house. And, and so that's, uh, you know, and, and hopefully they have food, right. Like that, they'll kind of need that, that component too. So, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say craft beer is dying. I, I don't feel that way. I still, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the established craft breweries still have uh very devoted followings. I, I, you know, I'm not drinking, uh, macro beers, you know, when I'm, when I'm in a local restaurant, right. If you're, if you're sourcing, if you, if you pride yourself on your technique and your seasonal locally sourced ingredients, and you better be serving, you know, locally brewed craft beer alongside it. And, and ideally, you know, locally roasted coffee for dessert, uh, and all that, but, uh, it, it's, it's just not the focus in the same way that it used to be, <laughs> uh, you know, and then cocktails, I think, you know, that, that price point is creeping up, you know, the eight, The $8 cocktail is now a $12 cocktail. The $12 cocktail is now a 15 or an $18 cocktail. And, and I really wonder, you know, it's, it's punitive. Uh, You know, at some point it just gets to be, it gets to be too much. Uh, Cause you know, I'm, I'm way more likely to order, you know, two $12 cocktails than I am two $18 cocktails. That's, that's the point at which you start to feel it. Uh, Wine markets are the same way. I mean, everybody's, you know, everybody's got their phone, everybody knows uh, what the retail price of a bottle of wine is. And, and if you're, you know, if you're three or four times higher than that, uh, you know, in a in a premium steakhouse, in a fine dining restaurant, uh, you can get away with that in a, in a neighborhood bistro. Uh, mm-hmm. that's not going to fly, you know, again, like I'll, I'll have, you know, make it, make it easy for me, you know, make it. So I, I order a bottle or two bottles instead of a glass, you know, that I, I think, you know, so I think, you know, I think reasonable prices are, are, are the key and and builds a lot of credibility with, with customers.
2: One of the things seen in our market um, creeping in and a few others, I suppose, um, is this uh, kind of speakeasy vibe type of uh, cocktail place, kind of the prohibition era thing going on with uh, uh, craft cocktails and so forth. Any of that? Um,
0: in, on your radar in, in Houston. Yeah. I mean, we've had, you know, we've had kind of those kind of prohibition error or craft cocktail bars. Uh, you know, we've been kind of in the middle of that for uh, close to 15 years now. And, and uh, you know, what's funny is it's, it's in some ways uh, it's going the other way. You know, the days of people being willing to stand around for five minutes while the, the bartender very expertly pours and shakes and tinctures and, uh garnishes and all that stuff you know it's like figure it out you know make the syrup <laughs> figure it out figure out a way to get it to me in two minutes you know make the syrups in advance uh put it on draft if you have to uh you know we still we still want i mean we still want that craft ethos right we still want uh fresh juice we we don't want mixes uh we want spirits we've heard of you know nothing in a, nothing in a plastic bottle that's not gonna fly anymore uh but but figure out you know figure out how to make a great frozen, figure out how to make a great draft cocktail. uh, And then, you know, prep your, prep your garnishes so that it, it can be served uh, more expeditiously because again, uh, there's only, there's only so many bars in any city I think that are allowed to be like real fussy and, and uh, you know, and that, that attitude, uh, that 2010 attitude of like, uh, we're not going to make you a vodka soda. You know, you should be ashamed of yourself for wanting to, you know, for one, in you know, a Tito's and tonic or whatever, uh, that's all gone away. You know, you, you know, there's a there's that 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 has shifted back to the customer now. Where uh, I'm not going to say the customer is always right. We we all know that that is that is definitely not the case. Um, but but you know, finding that happy medium between knowing what you are and doing what you do and doing it well, uh, while also accommodating, you know, people who may not who may not be. may not want that full experience but they they want to be in your environment but may not want you know but they still kind of want what they want uh you know finding that compromise i think is really important
1: well i (laughs) think i think you're right on target there uh and i'm so happy to hear you say that because i think you're right i mean the customer isn't always right but that's not the point customer is always the customer and i think you're reading the market that way that um people are wanting everything that you're mentioning, but but from a staffing point of view and from a restaurant management point of view, we almost seem like sometimes we're stuck in trying to do something that is either more unheard of or a little bit more difficult, uh, thinking that the customer is going to understand and appreciate it. And so you're sitting at the bar and all of a sudden somebody wants to do some light smoking of their garnishments and they just added another minute to your cocktail and uh, and and I don't think the customer perceives value in that anymore. So it's nice to hear that your point of view uh, is that uh, we might be going too far, uh, and and expecting everybody to spend fifteen to twenty dollars for a drink because it's handmade this and fresh made syrup and smoked garnishments might be a little crazy.
0: Well, or or even just because you're you know, and you know, if you're using like a really premium spirit, uh, you know, let's, let's find, find the less expensive tequila. Like I, I don't need, I don't need, you know, super fancy extra Anejo tequila in my margarita, you you know, like, um, like regular, you know, regular Blanco, uh, fresh lime juice, uh, you know, that, you know, that that's good enough for me, uh, most of the time. And then if I want that more premium cocktail experience, uh, you know, certainly there are places in every city that get to do that. And, and again, if you have a vision for how to create that and to make it really special, uh, then, you know, go for it. But, but understand that, you know, there's, there's only so many places, I think, that, that people will really uh, support
1: You mentioned how you're a recognizable entity, and I would imagine other people that do a lot of review and reporting are in their communities. Um, So when you are trying to judge more of the hospitality factor, do you send other people in? Or, I mean, I don't want you to give away secrets, but do you tell other people to go on in and give you?
0: (laughs) Well, I don't. I mean, I don't I don't send people per se, uh, but other people like to tell me about their experiences you know, I'm, I'm very engaged on social media. I have a, I have a pretty substantial uh, Instagram following. And at any time I post that I've been someplace, I get messages from people uh, about what they think, you know, I try to stay engaged. Um, You know, Facebook has these uh, groups that are devoted to conversations about local restaurants. Uh, You know, you'll see me pop up in there uh, from time to time, or, you know, I, I post much less frequently than I read because I am I am sort of curious to sort of learn about uh, people's experiences. And so I, you know, and, and you know, when I'm at a restaurant, I I do try to observe, you know, I make sure that, you know, I know that we're getting, I know that we're getting special treatment, but I, I try to make sure that the, you know, from what I can tell, at least that the treatment being afforded to other diners is at least, uh, you know, consistent, if not quite at the same level as what's being offered to us.
1: Well, I like it. I like what you do. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a follower. I'm a, uh, I'm a fan, uh, and I like, uh, uh, and I think that if every community follows the principles that you talked about here—local taste, uh, ruling, and the idea of trying to uh, report on all happenings, uh, which are sometimes very positive openings, sometimes not so positive closings. But in order to keep people properly informed to do all of that, that means everyone needs to be learning about the the taco throwdown as well as the fine dining. And you're all over the place. I I, I hear that. That's wonderful.
0: Well, thank you. I mean, that's the goal. You know, it's, it's a big city. It's a diverse city. It's a spread out city. And you know, nobody can get to everything and nobody, nobody can go to every restaurant. I do my best. You know, I, I try to stay engaged and, and listen to people, you know, and, and find out kind of what, where they're going and what they're excited about. And if it wasn't on my radar, then, you know, I'll round up a friend or two and it's like, all right, let's go, you know, let's, let's see what the hype's all about. So uh, that, that's the goal, you know, it's to be as authentic and, and wide ranging and consistent as possible. To that point, I, I once had someone uh, say to me, I hate every restaurant you like. And I said, that's, that's, then think about how much money I could be saving you, you know, just lean into that. And <laughs> and if I like a place, don't go, just save yourself the effort. So we used to ask this question to a lot of our guests, but it'd be particularly interesting
2: for you because you eat at a lot of different places and, and you're obviously familiar with a lot of different styles of cuisine. And without mentioning any particular concepts or restaurants or brands um, that day, when you really need that comfort food, that
0: you really like it, and you've got to have it that day. And it's, it's just the right thing for you. What's your go-to? It depends so much on what I haven't had recently or just what I've been craving. I mean, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it was a Sunday morning, uh, feeling a little hair of the dog and all in the only thing I wanted in this world, uh, was a bowl of pho and it did not matter that it's 95 degrees in the shade in Houston in the summer. Uh, hot noodle soup was the only thing that that occurred to me. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, you know, I, I grew up here, I've lived here my whole life. So there are, there are certain legacy dishes. There's a, uh, there's a certain spinach pizza at a, at a local pizzeria twice a year. Right. That, you know, it's like, all right, like this is, this is my night. I'm, I'm, I'm getting that delivered. Yeah. Uh, you know, but then if I haven't had barbecue in a while or Tex-Mex or, or, or a really great steak, it's like, you know, it it just depends sure
1: well, I think it's about time to wrap up, Eric. Thank you so much for, for sharing your your points and your wisdom. And I really think that everybody, no matter what community they're in, has probably got some pointers now on how they should really plan uh, their their menu, their hospitality, how they can properly attract um, uh, the attention that they're looking for from the people who report and review in their particular community. That's wonderful.
2: I wish we had something like this in our market where, yeah, somebody who's really trying to get the word out to... From a consumer point of view on, hey, where you can go to have a good experience, regardless of your demographic or your 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 particular tastes in food. So best of luck to you, Eric. You're doing an important thing for the industry and, and really appreciate you being uh, on this uh, podcast with us. This podcast
1: is What's Eric Eating? So everyone check that <laughs> out. <laughs> They're funny They're to the point, you'll always learn something. Eric, thanks again for joining us today. And everybody, we hope we see you on another Corner Booth really soon.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Corner Booth. We'll be back next Tuesday with more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business.